Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the podcast of a woman named Rad and a man named Paul. Welcome to Game for Anything. Hey, I'm Rad. And I'm Paul. And today we're breaking down the 2024 state of play. So yesterday, PlayStation streamed their showcase of the new game announcements and teasers that they have in store for us for the rest of 2024 and beyond. And we're bringing you the best bits, according to us, who <laughs> us, we ourselves are the best bits. So you're getting the best bits from the best bits. <laughs> Actually, for me, Rad, the best bit was the weirdest bit. I like weird things. I like silly goofery. And for me, it was the trailer for Death Stranding's sequel on the beach, which just absolutely ruined my brain at that ungodly <laughs> hour. Have you played Death Stranding, by the way? Are you a fan of this franchise? Um, I've played a little bit of it. I will not lie. Uh, like many people in the world, I don't necessarily understand uh, Kojima's vision. <laughs> Or can follow his particular <laughs> brand of storytelling. So yeah. if you're not familiar with Death Stranding, it's the one with Norman Reedus who is walking across these big, beautiful landscapes as a delivery man, balancing crates on his back, uh, walking very, very far. It yeah. doesn't sound like a game when you put it like that, but it's it's very divisive. Some people absolutely adore it. Some people think it's just too out there. But... In true Kojima fashion, as the auteur and game creator that he is, yeah. it has this really wild story with lots of interesting characters that's quite difficult to follow. And having not played the original Death Stranding, yeah. this sequel, <laughs> I feel, teased a lot of things that I, as a mere human, did not necessarily understand. Welcome to Drawbridge, Sam and to the G8V Magellan, our mobile base of operations. Come on, I'll help you get your bearings. Look, you could argue that Kojima also doesn't understand what's going on, and that's okay. I mean, he is basically <laughs> the Japanese David Lynch of game makers. Auteur is the perfect word. If you're a fan of A24 films, you're going to love this kind of storytelling. So, um, no, you don't think so? I mean, I'm a fan of A24 films, and I feel like they are a bit more cohesive. Yeah, they certainly can be. Once you actually dig in, because full disclosure, right, I'm only about two-thirds of the way through Death Stranding because I keep playing it in increments. It's extremely meditative because on the one hand, it's an art house post-apocalyptic science fiction film about a world which had some sort of terrible cataclysm happen, but it's also a hiking simulator, like weight and weight distribution, and it is deeply cathartic, very disturbing, and as you said, you play Norman Reedus, there's lots of oil on beaches, lots of weird whale song babies floating in cryogenic jars. Mm. 
actually the real reason I stopped playing it was because I was too scared. Uh, yeah, it is. It is a spooky game. It is a quite a spooky game, but it's also existentially spooky. And I actually kind of I had real trouble with this trailer because I was worried it would spoil things. But as you pointed out, it's so obtuse that it couldn't possibly give anything of use away. But you are once again playing <laughs> as Sam, uh, as played by Norman Reedus, setting out on another adventure. Um, I mean, it's it's very odd because it does also continue Kojima's tradition of getting people he admires from the creative world, whether they be filmmakers or whatever, in the game as characters. Because this trailer shows George Miller, the Australian director who did uh, the Mad Max films and Babe, uh, Pig in the City. He's in the trailer with Leah Sadu at the at the start. But Kojima's had other people. He's had Guillermo del Toro was in the last one. Nicholas Wending Refer, uh, Edgar Wright, Sam Lake. He, I think he just likes finding people he deeply admires and just mocaps them into his dream works, and it seems to be working. Something I noticed in the end credits also was that Elle Fanning is apparently in this game. I didn't see her in the trailer. She's in the game quite prominently. There's a bunch of other amazing actors, and he's got a new IP coming out as well. And I think he's trying to make a move into Hollywood because, Rad, he's also teamed up with, I cannot believe I didn't mention this before, he's teamed up with A24 to make a live-action film based on Death Stranding. So he's literally moving into the cinematic realm. I think it's the match made in heaven, frankly. Well, when he was talking about uh, the new IP, which is as yet unnamed, kind of at the end of showing off all the Death Stranding stuff, he Mm. mentioned uh, working with Sony and talked about how they have a huge film division and a huge music division and how he's looking forward to kind of working across all that Sony has to offer and bringing things in. And that, to me, is very, very interesting. That implies that in his true... Or to, we keep using that word, but in his, his true weird guy fashion, <laughs> yeah. uh, that he maybe wants to put a finger in every pie that he can. The thing that captured my attention most about this Death Stranding trailer, though, was the very first opening scene where you're cracking open a mummy with the boys. <laughs> Just a nice cold it's mummy. stuff. It's great. Ice cold mummy. <laughs> The sound of a the sound of a crisp chrysalis cracking. <laughs> it, there's a lot of um. If that doesn't give you a picture of what these games are, I don't know what will. Yeah, well, the last thing I played of his because I've been playing all the Metal Gear Solid games again. The one thing of his that I haven't touched, the one masterpiece, was the Silent Hill game starring Norman Reedus, which got yanked from the PlayStation Store and which now exists only trapped on people's actual physical consoles. To play this thing, you need to. It's like the tape from the ring. I mean, one of his arguably best works. Are you talking about? PT. Yeah, PT, which you cannot, you can't download anymore. It's so weird to me that you called it the Norman Reedus Silent Hill game. Like, who thinks of it like that? Well, it's PT, it. it's its own thing. Yeah, but I never played it. And for me, PT means personal training. And I, the only thing oh. I got trained in there was books. So, yeah, I, I wanted to play that so badly. And it was so nice to have so much other Silent Hill ephemera thrown at us at the State of Play yesterday as well. I did play PT, which is interesting because I'm not a horror game girly. I... I feel fear viscerally, um, and I ended up having to delete it off my PlayStation, which now seems like a mistake. Oh, no. But I, I didn't know they were going to take it off the store, but I deleted it like a couple of days after downloading it because it made my PlayStation feel haunted. I didn't like knowing that that scary thing was sitting was in inside. There. Yeah, yeah. I saw a guy the other day playing Elden Ring and he was so freaked out by a boss fight during a stream that he literally live on the feed, backed out of the game and deleted it. (laughs) He he didn't want it on his his machine. So I get that impulse. I I really do. And this also brings me to my best bit of state of play because I love, I love when a company gets on stage at their showcase and then goes... 
and it's available now. It's just such a like goofy circus moment. And that is exactly what happened with a little short free game under the Silent Hill banner called The Short Message. What the fuck? I'm sorry. Now, Paul, have you played the Silent Hill series? My experience with Silent Hill consists solely of me trying to play Silent Hill 2 on PC a few years back and uh, getting freaked out by the tank controls and then bailing. So I'm not overly familiar with the franchise. Me neither. Actually, I think the only Silent Hill thing that I've played apparently is PT, which Mm. in my head is just PT. I kind of knew that it was Silent Hill, but forgot (laughs) until you mentioned it. Right. But you will have your shot at playing Silent Hill 2 again, should you choose, because they're doing a remaster of it that they announced at State of Play. And as I mentioned, they released The Short Message, which is a standalone kind of, as the name implies, short game experience that they released for free. And Paul, I did play that. I played it last night. As someone who's a self-avowed scaredy cat, how did you fare playing this game? Did you also uninstall it? Is it no longer on your on your PS5? I haven't uninstalled it, but I'm going to because I've now <laughs> finished it. Okay, okay. So that's that's a good reason to. Um, it was much more straightforward than PT. PT really lent into the obscure, like pick up the phone at the correct time and look in the correct direction so that something else triggers that you need to know about and watch a light flash and count the number of times, that kind of thing that was a bit too beyond me. The short message is much more straightforward, kind of walking around, looking at items, collecting the story, mm. punctuated by running through corridors as a monster chases you. <laughs> How did you fare with those bits? Were you freaking out or did you... Lights on or lights off, first of all. With scary games, it's it's usually one or the other. Okay, Paul, I have a confession. I say I played the game. Okay. Um, But in reality... <laughs> yeah. Uh, I played maybe like 10 to 20% of the game and the rest of it I had my partner playing because I was too scared. Okay. Okay, so it was a co-op experience, basically. It was a co-op experience. Look, she doesn't play games, like, at all. She actually has self-banned herself from games because she gets too into it and, like, loses all of her time and doesn't do things that she's supposed to. We've all been there. um, And I completely respect that decision. But thankfully, she was intrigued enough to go through this experience with me and was apparently brave enough to play it, even though Bestie does not know how to use a controller. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Okay, so was this... Okay, so uh, how... I don't want to say inept, but how bad was the camera work? Like, was this just staring at the ceiling the whole time as something was chasing it, or...? Uh, there were those moments. Yeah. Uh, there were... Look... Uh... It's, I'm going to say she did a really good job. Like even when I took over from time to time, because I was like, you're obviously struggling. I, I know where we need to go now. I'll do it. Sure. Uh, when you get scared, you naturally face the wall and try and run into it multiple times while screaming. And- In real life too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your fine motor skills go to shit. This is, this is totally inaccurate. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but even sitting there watching, I was so scared that my tummy... <laughs> Started to hurt really, really badly. And Paul, this game gave me poo disease. I've I've never heard poo disease said out loud before, but I know exactly what you mean. So when I get nervous before a gig, I sometimes also get poo disease. (laughs) Yeah. 
Okay, so this is a slightly separate discussion, right? Sure. Yeah. I call it poo disease because it's so explanatory. And it's also a little bit of a euphemism. Like, it doesn't hit as hard as saying diarrhea, which is disgusting. <laughs> or any other, any other kind of related... Poo disease covers a blanket of things, right? It does. If it, well, on bad days, it certainly does, yeah. Oh! <laughs> no. PT. No. Poo trauma. Yeah. Uh, okay, so... <laughs> So, so, but this is my official. This is my official petition for us to all call it poo disease because yeah. I just I think it's a much more descriptive term. Yeah, but when you get dysentery, you have to call it dysentery because that's the poo disease that kills you. Killer poo disease. Killer poo disease. KPD. Did you poo disease X for extreme? <laughs> these are the sequels that are going to come after this game. So, <laughs> did these whet your appetite for the uh, impending remake of Silent Hill Two? I feel like. This was as much of this kind of experience mm. that I can handle. Uh, there were already moments like this wasn't that long. I want to say like we did it pretty slowly and I'd say maybe two to three hours. And there were already moments where I wanted to put it down and I was saying like, no, nope, I'm too stressed out. That's enough, mm. especially because running through the corridors away from the monster is kind of the main sort of action moment. But because it's a bit of a maze, you fail over and over again mm. and go right back to the start. And it becomes this sort of tedious thing where you're not really that scared anymore because you sort of know where you're supposed to go. You're just trying to get to the end. Yeah. And it starts to become a bit of a chore rather than a immersive experience. I actually think that these games would be better if you are led through in one fell swoop, so you feel like you're going to get got the whole time. You have that imminent fear kind of pushing you forward, but at the same time, you are, are actually, quote unquote, safe. Because the thing is, with no combat, you are always safe anyway. Yeah. You know, if you get got, the thing just restarts. There's no real fight or consequence. It's just repetition. So in that way, I guess I was maybe hoping for a little bit more um it felt maybe a bit old school to me and the themes of this game i must say are really messy it feels like they're trying to throw in anything that's kind of alarming and sort of creepy so i'll tell you what the themes were and if you don't want to hear it maybe just skip ahead because they are pretty heavy sure. there's themes of suicide of child abuse there's light references to incestual sexual abuse wow okay and some of it seems really unnecessary because they just kind of layer all of these things in to sort of give the feeling of like ooh, bad scary creepy but they don't all add to the story to kind okay. of the main story sure some of them just feel like side pieces that they throw in so in that way it also didn't have the emotional impact that i almost wanted it to because it just felt a little bit too haphazard uh, but at the same time, it really did make me think about how unclean spaces are just inherently scary. <laughs> Do you mean in terms of the place? So the place you're in was not well kept is what you're saying. And the lack of hygiene was the true scariness. Well, it's not just hygiene, but like, yeah, you like go into a space like a living room or something. Yeah. And there's just bags of trash piled up. <laughs> scary yeah right, so what's you, happened here this doesn't feel right you wait to wait for the dyson dlc where you actually just get to just zoom around and <laughs> clean that shit up i mean for me the the um the thematic mixology of horror is delicate it's best when it's clean it's best when there's one thing going on where there's one motif 
cutting through, but you can't use incest as a garnish. Like, it needs to be done so delicately, because like you pointed out, uh, as with your very reasonable trigger warning, these are very intense themes. You can't just scatter them around to create some sort of edgy milieu. Edgy milieu. Listen to me, I sound like an auteur. And I just feel like horror is a genre that's kind of been done to death. That was one thing that I really loved about PT, because that felt special in, and kind of fresh in that it was self-contained, it was a small experience, and it had kind of a simple mechanic of looping around the same hallway, but things change, mm. that put you in this real kind of psychological vice grip. And that that felt cool. That felt special. And it was free. It was this, it was a bit of a cultural phenomenon. But this I don't think is hitting those same uh marks that PT did. I don't think it'll be remembered in the same way, or even in the same way as the Resident Evil 7 uh VR kind of demo experience. Mm. But I am always thankful for free stuff, and hopefully there's some more evolution for the genre. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, so you mentioned walking around and around the same corridor over and over again in PT. And that's something I actually like about games is when there's a finite space that I can get to know really, really well. And I think that's why, Rad, I sometimes bounce off open world games a little bit. I'm like, there's too much here. There's too much for me to get attached to. Give me less and let me get to know it and gradually increase the places I can go. And obviously that's solved by traversal. Paul, you're the video game version of me in that you like don't want to leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 yeah, give me a very big game and let me stay inside. That's, that's kind of it. No, you're like, give me, give me my my small game world, which yeah. is my home. Yeah, and don't make me go out into the open world. I just want this. Nice little space that's comfy cozy. To that point, in World of Warcraft, this is a very, very quick anecdote, but I promise it relates to this point. In uh, in Stormwind, the human capital in World of Warcraft, during the first few expansions, there was this weird alleyway that was sort of a geometric f*** up. So you could actually kind of walk through the back door of this building in one of the obscure little alleyways into this sort of laneway, which had a like a two-story house at the back of it, which I think the developers put there and forgot to actually turn into content. And so for years, we'd log into the game go through this weird fake door and just sit in this little building and just enjoy the fact that it was ours. It was cozy, it had a fireplace, and we'd go and use the sleep emote on the bed and then log out asleep and then come we, we didn't even play the game. Our friends were lapping us with the content and all we wanted to do was stay indoors. It, by the way, $15.95 a month at that point was not, was not a worthy um, transaction for that. But it was also a very, very big game. And speaking of very, very big games... Rise of the Ronin had its trailer dropped uh, yesterday. It's coming out on March 22nd on the PS5. I'm very excited. But the reason I'm excited, Raz, is because it's an open world that I actually want to explore because it's set in the uh, 19th century in the era of J Japanese history where the West and the outside world had started to encroach. So if you watch this trailer, you'll see that the architecture is a weird fusion of East and West. It's this blending of Japanese and Western cultures, and yet it has uh, plenty of super cool grappling and 
Ghost of Tsushima style combat. So I'm really excited about this game. Yeah, it looked like it was hinging on really thoughtful sword combat that was really, really fluid yeah. and also had great kind of uh, traversal elements to it. You're zipping around and um, just that feeling of almost being weightless and free in your movement looked like it would be very, very satisfying. And I'm also a very, very big fan of Ghosts of Tsushima, but the reason I wanted to bring it up with you, Rad, is actually, it's a great game, but Ghosts is made by, it's not made by Japanese storytellers. It's made by fans of Japanese storytelling. So you get kind of these things like a Kurosawa finish and you get, they're fans of samurai films telling stories from their perspective. But uh, Rise of the Ronin is told by Japanese storytellers. And I know that seems like a small point, but for me, that was my one beef with Ghosts. I wanted to play a game set in that era that was told by people who have a cultural link to that era. And it looks like I'm finally going to be able to get to enjoy that story. Quick aside, I do really love when you get a game from people from a certain cultural background that are really like delving into that. And if you love that kind of thing, you should check out Raji. What's Raji? Raji was a fairly small indie game that was made by Indian developers, which already I think is awesome because we do not see that many games um, that kind of celebrate and are painted in Indian culture. And it kind of tells this folklore tale about a girl named Raji. And it's got kind of Hades vibes. It's that isometric sort of top down run around. You have your abilities. You're running through ruins of temples and cities and things. Mm. It's not as polished as Hades, like, which is absolutely fair enough because yeah. uh, that was made by quite a skilled and uh, big development studio. This mm. one was made by like a couple of, of people. But yeah, really cool game. I think you should check it out. I absolutely will check it out because I'm such a big fan of those kinds of stories. And also there is something to be said for games that have a little less polish because it means that it was harder to make. And sometimes barriers make people work harder at finding clever workarounds for things. Whereas... Games that are unbearably huge and incredibly polished sometimes just lack that sort of personal touch. Now, what I'm hoping is that Rise of the Ronin has that touch. Because I've never seen a game that delves into this era because you've got samurai and you've got muskets. Like, it's a weird fusion. And it's a period of history that is completely true. I think the last time it was dealt with pop culturally uh, in our part of the world was The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise, which was, by the way, I know, not a great film, but it's really nice to have an open world samurai game of any kind uh, hitting our console soon. And look, being in a kind of cool context for the game and the story always makes it feel better. Like, a story can be great, but if you don't have those good visuals pulling you through the mm-hmm. whole way, it's just not enough, which is one of the reasons why I'm pretty excited about Judas, which is a sentence that I never <laughs> thought I would say. Now, <laughs> Judas the game. Yeah. Judas the game, not the betrayer. You are the frog in a pot, boiling so slowly. You don't even know what's happening. But I'm here you free whether you like it or not uh so this was made by the people that made bioshock and it has a very similar aesthetic themes feel it's got that kind of uh classic bioshock sort of retro what era would we say i don't even know the era 50s uh, it's, it's sort of an art deco it's like an like an art edgy, deco. it's like an edgy art deco is is the aesthetic yeah steampunky art deco <laughs> and it's also got the classic BioShock hands that float in front of you and they yeah. just 
They hit different than other hands. They're like special Bioshock hands. <laughs> They're so soft. Everything's so, everyone's got soft, smooth faces and big eyes in these games. Big, big eyes. I didn't quite follow the story. There's there's something about like being set free yeah. and fixing the problem that you created. Uh, but honestly, I don't care. Bioshock is so much fun. This also looks like it pulls some of the mechanics from those games. I saw some hands shooting pyro abilities and things like that. Yeah. Um, and we don't have a release date yet. But I, I, for me, this is one to watch. It's interesting because Ken Levine, I'm a very big fan of Bioshock Infinite, played the hell out of it. Uh, it was actually the first game that I reviewed as a professional game critic when it first came out, like I think back in 2012. But the last game Ken Levine made was the final expansion to Bioshock Infinite, at which point he said he was done with uh, the franchise. He wasn't going to make another a Bioshock game again. And uh, he appears to have made another Bioshock game. This looks like Bioshock in space, which I'm fine with, by the way. But there's augment powers, weird mashups, a kind of utopia that you wander into shortly after the wheels have fallen off. This is just Bioshock again. And that's okay. Yeah, let's be honest. You could call this Bioshock colon Judas and it would fit right in. <laughs> yeah. I say this having only seen the trailer. Maybe maybe it, it plays very different, uh, but it doesn't look like it. A disenfranchised narrator kind of um, giving us a monologue with vocal fry as a weird rendition of a <laughs> jazz song screams and there's just shotguns. And I'm like, look, this is fine. By the way, this does feel like a throwback. Lots of games at State of Play felt like an odd, not bad, just an odd throwback to games of like 10 years ago. And I'm, I'm okay with that. But it did feel... It did feel very familiar. I love familiar, though. I don't really have a problem with it. Like, yes, we do want to see innovation. We do want to see things pushing forward. But some of the games I love the most are ones where the gameplay loop is just so satisfying that you can sit in it forever. And that's one thing that I think I could get out of V Rising. Which they also showed off at State of Play. It is out in early access on PC at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, and Paul, I believe you've played it. I played so much V Rising, it made my eyes hurt. I, I love this game. And I'm, so, <laughs> I'm so happy that the trailer alone grabbed you. Like, what was it about the trailer that appealed to you? Uh, I love a dungeon crawler. Uh, it had lots of colorful effects. The kind of magic and abilities looked really satisfying. Mm. Some of those battles looked like they had elements of kind of bullet storm games, which I also really, really love. It looked like Diablo, but maybe with a bit more levity to it and a bit more kind of cartoon sheen to it. Yeah. Um, and I also noticed hitting a tree, which strongly implies collecting resources and then crafting or mining. Yeah, that is exactly what happens. In fact, you're going to love this. You wake up as a sleepy vampire and you go outside and guess what you need? You need to avoid the sun. So you smash down trees and harvest oh! rocks and you build your creepy castle and you build better coffins and blood forges and you basically are... You're building your Dracula's lair, effectively. And during the... So... It, it's such an enjoyable game and it does take that levity like you said that Diablo 4 was missing so much and I've tried diving back into Diablo 4 lately and it's remarkable how drab it is I mean the world of Diablo 4 is ruined now I would argue a world with vampires running around punching trees and killing livestock is just as bad from a story perspective and yet there's a slight Pixar vibe to this game 
Uh, maybe that's the wrong that's the wrong touchstone, but it is a fun game. It's a fun <laughs> world to be in. I mean, you are drinking the blood of wolves and running around shape shifting, and you can play it with friends. So you can literally build a castle together and uh, upgrade, and then go off and do dungeons. Highly, highly recommended. Yeah, I can't wait to jump in. Whether I do that on PlayStation or PC, it looks like a whole bunch of fun. But one very PlayStation-specific thing that I'm also interested in checking out was a couple of PSVR 2 announcements that they came out with. Now, VR, when it came out, was lauded as the next big thing in gaming. It's been several years now. I'd say almost a decade. No, a decade. Uh, And... It hasn't necessarily taken off like everyone thought it was going to. I know very, very few people that own a VR headset, and most of those people are ones who work in the games industry. (laughs) Yeah, every game critic seems to have some iteration of a Vive or an Oculus or whatever, but the PlayStation's VR headset is, from what I understand, okay? I mean, is this part of a new generation? Are they really kind of continuing to push, or are they just putting titles onto their old hardware to make it worth the investment? Uh, It's titles onto old hardware, although PSVR 2 is already, obviously, an update from the original PSVR. I think 2 came out last year like it's still not that old Mm. and it's great to see that they are pushing some development for it because again one of the big uh downsides to vr or big arguments against is that there aren't enough titles that lean into that space specifically although some of the titles that have come out have been amazing and a really, really different experience. So in State of Play, they talked about Metro Awakening, uh, which is a VR game within the Metro franchise. It looks like your classic Metro stuff. You got guns. There's this kind of like Russian cold... <laughs> Maybe nuclear stuff happens. It's not the best time to be playing that game, I don't think. (laughs) Not because I'm look, I'm sure it's a great game. I've played all the Metro games. I've literally unlocked every ending for these things. I'm a big fan of this universe. But you are scared of things. You get scared easily. You've just confessed this to me. VR seems like the worst. I'm talking about games, by the way, not like just things in life in general. But you are you are you're not a fan of horror games. How do you fare with experiences where you are literally inside? The, the POV of somebody who is being beset by things like zombies and whatnot. Uh, I played the Until Dawn on Rails VR shooting experience. Yeah. Do you remember that one? I do, yes. That yeah. was really cool. Um, the thing that I discovered is VR feels so much scarier than a game on a screen or even potentially real life because in real life, yeah. you can cover your eyes with your hands. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no. When you bring your hands up to a VR headset... Nothing happens, and my eyelids are not enough protection. That's like torture. I need I need the barrier. Yeah, it is. It feels awful. That sucks. Thank you for putting in my brain. That's like a that's like a splinter in my mind. Thank you. You cover mm. your eyes, but you have no hands. But thankfully, they did also talk about another title for PSVR two: Legendary Tales. Uh, this was a kind of fantasy. I'm gonna say. Budget Elder Scrolls looking game. <laughs> Elder Scrolls, I would argue. Sorry, Todd Howard. I would argue Elder Scrolls already has a slight, slight budget vibe to it. But okay, so we're talking skeletons, hack and slash, right? That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly that kind of thing. But the thing that struck me about this is that there's a fluid walking movement to this game. So I'll admit it's been a long time since I've played VR. Kind of, you know, played quite a bit of it when it first came onto the scene, mm. and then 
bits and pieces since then. But one of the challenges for VR was obviously the motion sickness that people experience. And at the time that I played quite a lot, the best solution was having you not walk around it, having you stationary within the game and stuff moves around you. This one is going for fluid walking. Uh, So instead of jumping from point to point, you'll be walking through the game as normal. I'm, Curious to see how that feels. Again, it's been a while since I've played VR, so maybe this is uh, old news and this is something that they solved a long time ago. But people love these kinds of fantasy worlds. So even though, you know, they haven't necessarily made it look the most slick, (laughs) I do think that there are certain people that are itching to be able to spend time and live in these kinds of worlds. Yeah, and I'm really excited about the prospect of having a VR headset that doesn't need to come with a bag for me to throw up in because honestly, I get so ill when the POV moves and my body doesn't. Even if I'm in a, let's say, a roller coaster sim or whatever, my body needs to feel and see as many things to tie itself to the experience as possible. So if fluid walking is what it takes then I will accept a bit of Howard-esque jank. Well, that is our wrap-up of PlayStation's first state of play for 2024. They have said that they're going to be talking about some further announcements in Feb with another state of play. We're already in Feb. What the hell? (laughs) The cycle of games never ends and neither do we. So we will see you next time for another Game for Anything. See ya. 